our gospel reading today is Luke 2, 22 to 38, and Matt's going to come and read that for us. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consecration of Israel, consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, <clears throat> Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, You may now dismiss your servant in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said, Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign of what will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child, to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. So we're starting a new series today based on Luke's gospel. It's one of the earliest accounts of Jesus's life, probably uh, written about 30 years after Jesus's death and resurrection. We know that Luke was a doctor Uh, He uh, traveled with and worked alongside the Apostle Paul. Uh, Luke wrote also the uh, book of Acts, so we can look at uh, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts as uh, two parts of the same volume. Uh, The Gospel of Luke uh, records Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And then the book of Acts records the things that Jesus continued to do through the power of the Holy Spirit after he went to be with uh, his father in heaven, specifically working through the apostles to build up the church. Luke is writing in the first instance for a wealthy Gentile, a non-Jew by the name of Theophilus, who is, if you like, the, uh, the patron of this endeavor. So at the behest of Theophilus, Luke has traveled to the places where Jesus lived and where he ministered, where he spoke, where he performed miracles. Uh, Luke has interviewed eyewitnesses to these events. And uh, that's what he's recorded in this gospel. And of course, Luke himself was an eyewitness to uh, many of the events that we read, read about in the book of Acts. So we can imagine Luke uh, sitting down with Mary 
uh, sitting with Peter, with the, the other disciples, with people who witnessed Jesus' miracles, uh, finding out exactly what happened, how they felt, what it was like. So Luke is the ancient equivalent of an investigative journalist. And the reason he wrote this gospel is, in his own words, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. He is, of course, addressing this uh, to Theophilus, but this is also for us. If we read Luke's gospel, we can be certain of its validity, we can be certain that the Christian message is true because Luke has carefully investigated all these matters. So we're studying Luke's gospel for this series, Encountering Jesus. And over the next 12 weeks, uh, we're going to look at 12 different people or groups of people who encountered Jesus. And we're going to see the difference that it made to their lives. I wonder, have you ever encountered a famous person. Put your hand up if you've ever met anyone famous or famous-ish. Wow, a lot of a lot of. Okay, let's have a Fiona. Who? Um, Andrew Denton. And Andrew Denton. Andrew Denton. Okay, a comic. Anthony Mundine. Okay, Paul. Okay, who else? Who else we got? Who who, who met Margaret? Bing Crosby, Andy, Nelson Rockefeller, and uh, Prime Minister of China. Nelson Rockefeller. Nelson Rockefeller. Okay, we we'll go with Nelson Rockefeller. Who became Vice President of America? Okay, Vice President of the U.S. Okay, fantastic. Anyone else? Go on, Lisa. Cat Stevens. So the eclectic mix of people that we've met between us, Tom. A news, yeah, I can't, I can't recall the name, but the the newsreader. Go on, Louise. Wendy Richards, British actress. Okay, one more, Damaris. <laughs> Buchanan. What was his first name? Colin Buchanan, that's the guy who does worship music, isn't it? See, I'm catching up with uh, Australian culture here. Okay, so um, for those of you who've met famous uh, people, um, did it completely, cataclysmically change your lives? So, okay, a lot of, lot of uh, shaking of the head there. Um, I've met uh, several famous people. Bizarrely, most of them have been called Bruce. Uh, this is this is for real. I'm not making it up. And now you're probably thinking, "Wow, Bruce Springsteen, Bruce Willis." I'm not not quite that famous. Uh, Bruce Lee? No, I'm not that old. Uh, there was a guy called um, Bruce Foxton. Uh, he became a client of mine for personal training. So um, uh, I sat down with him and I happened to ask him what he did for a living. He said, "Oh, I was in a band called Stiff Little Fingers." And I thought, "Ah, oh, my brother listens to them." And then he said, uh, and I used to be in a band called The Jam. And I thought, oh, this guy is quite famous. If you're from the UK, you would know The Jam for sure. Um, and uh, uh, But that was it. I took his blood pressure and we moved on. Uh, six months later, I was doing some casual work at a Christmas tree farm. And Bruce Foxton came in to get his Christmas tree. 
And uh, the guys I was working with, this was their era, so they all loved the jam, and they're going, it's Bruce, it's Bruce Foxton, it's Bruce Foxton. And, he, and uh, he, he came up, he said, oh, hello, Charlie, how's it going? And we had a little chat, and afterwards, they were like, how do you know Bruce Foxton? Well, when I was working on that same Christmas tree farm, Bruce Grovelar walked in. Uh, the Zimbabweans might know uh, who that is, uh, Premier League goalkeeper. He was Zimbabwean. I think he had something like 32 caps for Zimbabwe. And he actually got the hump with me uh, because I made him pay for his tree before he took it to his car. Uh, that was a system for everyone, so why should he be any different? Um, so I think it's fair to say that I've never revered famous people. I've got nothing against them. I just don't revere them. Uh, so meeting the two Bruces... Uh, far from being a life-changing experience, it didn't really make that much difference to my day uh, on either occasion. However, however, encountering Jesus completely changed not just the course of my life, but the person that I am. In fact, no event, experience, or encounter can be more monumental than encountering Jesus. And uh, that is true for absolutely everybody. And I hope as we move through this series, uh, we'll begin to see that more and more. Uh, Now, for Luke, one of the key points that he wants to make uh, is that when a person encounters Jesus, they are encountering the person who is the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy. In fact, he says as much in his opening sentence. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. In other words, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises that God has made to his people, Israel, over a very long period of time. Promises that concern not only the Jewish people, but every person who has ever lived and every person who will ever live. The the promises concern not only... uh, those people who are Jewish, but everyone who has ever lived and will ever live, it includes us. Uh, So let's look at some of God's promises in the Old Testament. Firstly, in the book of Genesis, the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent, uh, God speaks of one who will come to crush the serpent's head. In other words, uh, God will send a saviour who will have the power to crush Satan and do away with all that is evil in the world. Uh, again, in the book of Genesis, we have the story of Noah and the flood. And in the end, God promises never to completely destroy the whole of mankind. So there is a way of dealing with human sin. Obviously, destroying all humans would be one way. But God promises that that is not the way that he will choose. There is another way of dealing with human sin that will become apparent as we read through the Bible. God made a covenant or agreement with Abraham that all people would be blessed through him, through uh, his family line. The uh, first five books of the Bible, often called the Pentateuch, so that's, or, or, um, also the Torah or the books of Moses. So if you hear any of those terms, Pentateuch, Torah, books of Moses, talking about the first five books of the Bible, which are all about the law that God gave Moses. And God made Again, a covenant, an agreement with Moses. Keep these laws and you will live and prosper. But if you flout them, if you turn away from them, then things are not going to go well for you. In fact, that way leads to death. With the law came a whole system 
of animal sacrifice to make atonement for sin and wrongdoing. So uh, the law and the sacrificial system point forward like a big arrow to the one who will deal with all human sin once and for all through his sacrificial death on a cross. And finally, uh, God promised King David that one of his descendants would rule over a kingdom that would last forever. So you have all these provenance, uh, promises, all these covenants, agreements that God has made with people in the Old Testament. So we can see that the story of the Jewish people is all about God's covenant promises that we see throughout the Old Testament. A huge portion of the Old Testament is devoted to prophecy, and much of that prophecy points forward to the arrival of a Messiah figure, God's anointed, a sovereign king, whose kingdom and dominion will never end. If we were to sum up the whole of the Old Testament in one word, that word would be promise. But between the end of the Old Testament and the birth of Jesus, there's a period of around 400 years where God is completely silent. Everybody is waiting for God to fulfill his promises, and nothing happens. Israel's former glory has faded. There was no king. There were no prophets. And there was no word from God. A lot of people must have been asking, what's gone wrong? What's gone wrong? Can we even trust God's promises? It's a bit like this. Uh, who here has been on the giant drop at Dreamworld? Okay, quite a few of you, or even seen it. It's that large tower that you can see uh, from the main road as you go down towards the Gold Coast. And the way it works, you just get strapped in at the bottom, and it takes you all the way up to the top of the tower. And when you get to the top, uh, you're, you're, you're just left hanging there. And you know that something exciting is about to happen, but you don't know exactly when. And you've got a bit of time to take in the view, to look around, uh, but all the while there's this sense of anticipation, or depending on your temperament, uh, terror. Now imagine that you're up there looking around, waiting for that moment. Nothing happens. 30 seconds a minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. There's going to come a point when you start to think that something's gone wrong, that it's broken, that what you were expecting to happen isn't going to happen. And that's how it was for the Jews at the time of Jesus. They had waited 400 years with no word from God. And I imagine that many of them were beginning to wonder if God's promises would ever be fulfilled. That is the backdrop for Luke's gospel. That is the backdrop to uh, Jesus coming into the world as a tiny defenseless baby. And Luke begins his narrative with an explosion of prophecy. After 400 years, God begins to speak, and he uses some very ordinary people to do so. Chapter 1 tells the parallel stories of the birth of two very special children, uh, Jesus and John, who becomes John the Baptist, and both sets of parents. In Jesus' case, his mother Mary. In John's case, his father Zechariah. Both parents sing songs that are replete with uh, messianic references and prophecies from the Old Testament. 
And after the birth of Jesus, uh, when his parents take him to the temple to be dedicated, we read of two very significant encounters. Significant not because of the people uh, who encounter Jesus, but because of what God reveals to them about Jesus. The first is a man called Simeon, reading from verse uh, 25, and we could have that on the screen now. Um, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. Next, next one. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So there's this man, he's obviously quite old, he loves the Lord, and he's waiting patiently for God to fulfill his promises. And somehow the Lord has given him this deep sense, this knowledge that he won't die until he has laid eyes on the Messiah. He's got a bucket list with only one thing on it. He wants to see Jesus before he dies. I wonder, have any of you got a bucket list? Uh, I think I probably have, not a not an actual list, but I've got lots of things in mind that I'd like to do at some point in my life. I'd love to uh, walk around the Cornish coastline. It's a beautiful stretch of coastline around uh, around England. Uh, I'd love to go to that place in Japan. I, I can't pronounce it, but uh, it's in the mountains, there's snow on the ground, and they've got these hot springs, these monkeys, these snow monkeys that jump in and out of the water and have a bath there. I'd love to go to the Taj Mahal in India. There are all sorts of things uh, on my bucket list. Uh, but when I thought about this, and I compared my bucket list to uh, that of Simeon, how he wanted to see the consolation of Israel, to lay eyes on the Messiah. I thought, actually, compared to that, my bucket list is a bit ordinary. It's a bit pathetic, really. Uh, I want to go for a long walk, see some monkeys having a bath, and visit what is essentially somebody's tomb. Simeon wanted to see the Messiah with his own eyes, and he did. But, you know, in many ways, we're in a much more uh, blessed and privileged position even than Simeon, uh, because we get to have a relationship with Jesus that begins now and stretches into eternity, lasts forever. I've got no doubt that Simeon is now with Jesus forever. Uh, But he only got to glimpse Jesus towards the end of his earthly existence. We get to spend a lifetime or whatever remains of our lives with Jesus, and that relationship will last forever. I wonder, do we place enough enough value on our relationship with Jesus compared with other things that we might have done or want to do in life? Do we place enough value on the reality of God's promises being fulfilled through Jesus and what this means for each one of us? Simeon realized that the fulfillment of God's promises is the source of all peace and satisfaction. And his song, which is sometimes called the Nunc Dimittis, which is uh, Latin for now release. It's taken from the first part of the song in Latin, which is, uh, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. If you ever hear the Nunc Dimittis, it's talking about uh, this uh, song of Simeon. But this song sketches a, a broad outline of Luke's gospel. So right here near the beginning of the gospel, we see the whole gospel in outline through Simeon's song, and then the details get filled in as we read on. 
And he begins by praising the Lord for allowing him to see the Messiah, the one who would bring salvation, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. But he goes on to give Mary a warning. This is God preparing Mary for what lies ahead. He says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. You might think that everybody would have been happy to know that God was at last fulfilling his promises uh, to Israel and to the whole world, but that wasn't the case as we know. Jesus did cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. The religious leaders fell from their lofty positions, if not straight away in a literal sense, metaphorically, and they were exposed as the phonies they were. And Jesus raised up the lowly and the humble to be his co-workers and heirs. And that is what he's still doing in the world today because we, the church, we are Jesus' co-workers and heirs. And Jesus was and is a sign that is spoken against. The way a person responds to Jesus reveals the thoughts of their hearts. Uh, is this person someone who truly loves God, or are they in rebellion against God? Our response to Jesus determines where we are, in which camp we fit into. We love God, or we're in rebellion against God. And when Simeon said to Mary, a sword will pierce your soul too, he is, of course, talking about Jesus' crucifixion. Now, Simeon didn't know about Jesus' future death and resurrection. He just knew that God will fulfill his promises, and he was speaking the words that were given to him by the Holy Spirit. So after 400 years of silence, God paints a prophetic outline of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, and he does so, again, through very ordinary people. Now, the most extreme skeptic might say, well, uh, Simeon was just a crazy old man who projected all this onto Jesus. But God affirms what he said through a prophet by the name of Anna immediately afterwards. Anna was very old. It's not entirely clear from the text, uh, from the original text, whether she'd been... uh, a widow up until the age of 84, which would make her 84, or whether she'd been a widow for 84 years, which would make her well over 100. Uh, Either way, uh, she's old. And she's had rather a tragic life. Her husband died after just seven years of marriage, and uh, she spends her whole time in the temple. Presumably, there's no uh, family to take care of her. Uh, But she loves and worships the Lord, and she's recognized as a prophetess. And she approaches the little family and affirms that Jesus is the one who will provide this great relief that the Jews were hoping for. The redemption of Jerusalem would come through Jesus. In fact, the redemption of the whole world would come through Jesus. So what we have here are two faithful Jews, well on in years, who love the Lord and are patiently waiting for God to fulfill his promises to Israel for the benefit of the whole world. When they encounter Jesus, they know 
They know by the Holy Spirit that he is the one they've been waiting for. Jesus is the one who will fulfill all of God's promises. And for us, we have encountered Jesus. We know that God's promises have been and will be fulfilled through Jesus. And just like Simeon and Anna, we are waiting for Jesus. We're not waiting for him to come in the first place. We're waiting for him to return. But actually, with all that's happened since the birth of Jesus, since this time when Jesus was in the temple with Simeon and Anna, since then, all that passed, we're, in, we're now in a much better position. We have a much better vantage point to see that God's promises are trustworthy and true. So if ever we find ourselves contemplating the chaos in the world around us, or looking at the mess and the muddle in our own lives and saying, how long, Lord? How long is all this going to be allowed to continue? This, uh, the, you know, the, the evil and the strife that we see in the world around us. How long before you put all this right? How long before this moment that we're waiting for with hopeful anticipation? Let's remember Simeon and Anna. They actually didn't have much to go on, but they trusted They trusted God's promises, and they were rewarded. They saw what they were hoping for. By contrast, we do have an awful lot to go on. So let's keep trusting and maintaining a sense of hopeful anticipation about how things will be in the future, about what God God will do, how he will fulfill his promises, how Jesus will return, the world will be put right and made as it should be. Let's be waiting prophets. Simeon and Anna were waiting prophets. Let us be waiting prophets who point the world to the reality of God's kingdom and to Jesus, who is the only way to enter that kingdom. And let us continue to fill in the detail of the prophetic picture that Luke paints at the beginning of his gospel. Because that prophetic picture is is filled out by Luke's gospel. It's filled out further by the book of Acts and uh, the other books of the New Testament. Uh, But this is a continuing story that we are part of. So we continue to fill in the detail of this prophetic outline that we see right here in Luke 2. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we are part of your story. We thank you that you've called us by name, made us your own. And we pray that uh, we will be waiting prophets, uh, waiting patiently, waiting with hopeful anticipation, uh, making you known to the world as we wait for that time when Christ returns. Help us, Lord, to place great value in our relationship with you through your son, Jesus, and to recognize that we are called to, to be Jesus' co-workers in this world. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.